You're listening to the Co-Main Event Podcast. And now your hosts, Ben Folks and Chad Dunnis. That's right. You are now listening to another episode of the Co-Main Event Mixed Martial Arts Podcast. I'm your co-host, Chad Dundas, from ESPN.com. And joining us, as always, from MMA Junkie in USA Today, it's your friend and mine, Ben Folks. Ben, it's been an interesting day for you. I understand you were the victim of uh, an identity theft. Yeah, I've been identity thieved. Why don't you? Catfished, maybe? Is that, <laughs> yeah, I've been might, off uh, reversed catfish. You might have been reversed catfished. Yeah. Why don't you tell, uh, why don't you tell the listeners what's up? Well, see... See, what had happened was... Oh, God, we're already off to a good start. <laughs> Apparently, uh, some some jokers in the MMA Junkie comment section like to register like a username that's like Ben Folks or something along those lines. And apparently they've registered like dozens of them uh, to try and comment as if they were me in the comment section. Um, which should be obviously unbelievable to anyone who knows me because I'm not even going to read internet comments, especially right. on my own stories, much less get in there and write them. And that's just ridiculous. I remember when MMA Fighting got bought by Vox Media, the SB Nation people, and they wanted us to get more involved in the comment section, which was my least favorite thing and about you were the just new like, ownership. I quit. <laughs> I didn't quite do that, but I think I did interact once or twice. And then when they saw the way I interacted, they were like, you know what? Maybe you don't worry about it so much. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so they posted some long rant as me. Um, I obviously was not me, but you know, people posted it to the UG and people were really believing that it was me. Uh, and then I had to spend my morning shooting down these rumors that I had posted some crazy half drunk rant on the MMA junkie comment section. Now, what was the, uh, tenor and content of the rant? If you don't mind me asking, it was really long. Uh, there was some stuff in it about Ariel Helwani, uh, like, you know, me bashing Ariel Helwani. Uh, there was some stuff about me, like talking about how much I hate MMA fans, stuff well, like that. Okay. That part's believable. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was just kind of, and they kept trying to drop enough nuggets of like actual verifiable information about my life that would then make people think that it was me. But that should also be a tell, shouldn't it? When somebody's going out of their way to like mention things that are known about me so that then it would seem like, I don't know. I mean, I mostly feel like if you have enough time to pretend to be somebody on the internet, you really wasted that time by pretending to be me because not enough yeah, people that's care. A, that's a dumb thing to do. Yeah. I, mean, I, have, I have a few questions, though. Okay. Number one, besides the fact that you showed up here today in your Dr. Dre the Chronic t-shirt. That's right. Which is, looks like it's about as old as I am. And wearing your San Diego State Aztecs hat. Mm -hmm. How can I be sure that I'm speaking to the real Ben Folks right now and not just some internet huckster? Listen, if I could figure out a way to get an internet huckster to come over to your house and record this shit for me, I'd be all over it. I, I, I know that money I know would that be no would. object. It also seems like a kind of a, a, an innocuous uh, plot line to, to pursue, like to write a post as you bashing Ariel Hawani because you used to work with Ariel for a while. And I know that you guys have like an on air uh, feud, but I think most people know that that's a work that you you'd actually think, like each other. And so like posting people, that would be a very easy thing to dispel. Yeah. Especially with, with Helwani himself, who you could just 
like shoot an email to and be like, yeah, that wasn't me. And I assume you know that already. But. Yeah, no, he sent me an email this morning. I woke up and like turned on my phone. There was an email from Ariel being like, did you really write this? And I was like, dude, you know me better than to know that I'm going to go in the comment section and write some shit. And he said that he thought, you know, he's like, well, I, I wondered maybe if you had finally snapped. And I was like, well, dude, when I. <laughs> that's, that's a possibility. When I snap, I promise all of you that it will not be in the form of a rant on the Internet comment section. That won't it won't be like that. It'll be, you know, it'll be some some CNN headline news stuff where I'm, where I'm going out in a blaze of glory. That's how I'm going to snap. Well, when the when the end of the world finally comes, I do believe that it will it'll start in an internet comment section somewhere. Yeah. Probably on Yahoo, really, <laughs> cuz I don't know if you've ever read the comments there, but wow. Quickest way to lose faith in humanity. Read the comments on almost any Yahoo news story. I assume you're not familiar with foxnews.com. I'm familiar with it, but I would never read the comments. <laughs> anyway, uh, well, that's that's a terrifying story, man. Sounds yeah. like a shitty way to wake up. Yeah, well, it is. And then now, though, I'm like, well, now I I, I thought we got it settled. So now we're trying to stop people from registering the Ben Folks username on the MMA Junkie comment section. So if you see anybody using that, it's not me, and I won't know if they're using it because I'm not reading the comments. Uh, and I was talking with my boss, Dan Stupp, about, okay, maybe now we've got this problem under under control, but who knows what those, what usernames they'll start registering next, uh, to which Dan immediately suggested, how about Chad Dundas? Yeah, well, I mean, if you, if, if you can cite as the defense that you're not going in the comments section, I can, I mean, that's doubly true for me, because I'm way bigger of a Luddite than you are. I'm I'm not going in no comments section. If somebody wants, especially if I have to sign up, I mean, Jesus Christ, <laughs> there's no way I'm doing that. Yeah, that's true about you. Anyway, well, this is going to make this new bit of news that we have about the CME a lot more interesting now that we've heard this story because there are big things at foot for the co-main event podcast this a week. Foot? The, yeah, big things at foot. I thought you said at foot. No, a foot. Although either would have been fine. Big things at foot at the CME. Either would have been fine. <laughs> both, those, both of those are perfectly usable expressions. Anyway, uh, we are moving to our new website this week. Yay, we're new gonna website. Be, we're going to be over at our new home. You will no longer find the Co-Main Event Podcast at comaineventpodcast.com. You will find it at the much much shorter and easier to type comaineevent.com. Boom. So we'll be over there on our new website. The old website will still be there for a while with a handy post to redirect you to the new website. But uh, we've been working with a guy here in Missoula who's helping us out. Uh, we, the new website, you know, it's not like we need a really fancy website because, no. we, you know, we, what does it do? We don't have that, the, the capabilities or the yeah. wherewithal to do that. Uh, but, uh, it's going to give us a lot more uh, flexibility and there's a lot more possibility about stuff that we can do moving into the future. Um, we're going to grow into it slowly over time, I think. But uh, uh, there, there's going to be some some cool features on there, I think. We're going to start archiving stuff like uh, tips for the well-rounded fight fan, for instance. Yeah. When we do those, a lot we'll of people a, have wanted to go back and look at some of those. We'll have a post where you can go and look at the the tips that we've that 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 we've suggested for everyone, and as we add to them, we'll kind of update it, and it'll be easy for people to find it. Yeah. And then they don't have to bug us on Twitter about what we recommended three weeks ago. Exactly. When they, when they do, we can just shoot them a leak a link to the new website. You know what I'm really looking forward to with the new website is uh when it gradually transformed to be all hardcore pornography yeah That's pretty gonna we're gonna like i said we're gonna grow into it yeah. it's gonna be a slow transition people might not even notice yeah where you know starts out as mma podcast website 
eight months down the road. It's exclusively pornography on boats. I think that's a, a niche that has not yet been exploited. The most Only boat related. The most interesting thing about it, in the light of your new revelation that you've been reversed catfished, is that there we've got comments on there. So Uh-oh. there's a whole new forum for someone to go on there and impersonate you. Oh God! And when they do, I'm totally just playing along. <laughs> this this might be a negative development. Uh, so I don't know. We're going to give that a try, and if it turns out people are just as dumb on our website as they are on every other website, we'll probably take those comments out. Probably just do away with the comment section. So Who knows? We'll see. I don't know. Who knows? Maybe we maybe can... it'll be a huge success. Yeah. If people get on there and say smart shit, that'll be awesome. You know, and every once in a while, you find a website, usually one that has a small enough readership, which I feel the CME might fall under that category, where it can stay manageable, where everybody can yeah. act like real human beings. That's what I'm hoping for. And not like faceless, anonymous internet trolls, and we can all treat each other with some measure of civility as we call each other ignorant dickheads. That would be awesome. Yeah. I, I hope to God that happens. The second uh, thing that we need to make sure we say this week, Ben, is that we got some cool stuff in the mail. Uh, from listener Carlene Darago from Brantford, Ontario, who listens to the show with her boyfriend, Ryan. She sent us two silver co-main event podcast pendants awesome. this week, which is, it is awesome. And I, I don't even know how you would go about making those. Some kind of alchemy. Yeah. Or like silver smithery. I just imagine, like, you know those scenes in Game of Thrones where they're in like the, courtyard of a castle and you see like a grinding stone yeah, and like exactly. sparks line and somebody's doing something with a, like a red hot sword. I assume that that's what needs to happen. In Me order to too. Make a that's what I imagine. And, and I can honestly say we, we've never gotten anything like that. We never dreamed of getting anything like that. It's awesome. And the CME universe just keeps kicking ass Yeah, beyond our wildest dreams. We don't have to report this on our taxes, do we? Well, it depends on if it's real silver. I think we need to take it down and get it weighed or something. Okay. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> no, I know a guy. Well, okay, yeah. Whew, good. Uh, so uh, we're going to have to send Carlene and Ryan some cool stuff to thank them as soon as, we, as soon as we have some cool stuff to send them. We got cool stuff. We got cool stuff coming out of our ears. Uh, so we'll get right on that. Also, Ben, the music this week comes to us from the band Little Fox, which includes loyal CME listener uh, Josh Kuypers. Oh, okay. So I asked him if they had a website or anything. He said no. So, uh, <laughs> what? Well, they're not going to have a website. Uh, I know. It's, th- th- there's a longer story behind it. Josh says the they band just have is, a MySpace page. So, yeah. That's all. <laughs> they're on Friendster, <laughs> I think. Uh, he says the band is sort of defunct, but their music is, is cool. I thought we would, we would use it this week. So thanks to Josh for that. Uh, in the future, we will also, uh, I think on the new website, be putting up a post where you can find people's music too. We'll have that, like a little would be helpful. archived thing where you can click the link and download their stuff and it'll be awesome. Anyway, uh, the co-main event podcast, as usual, comes to you in three rounds this week. In round number one, it's the young dinosaur. Let me try to do that again. In round number one, it's the young dinosaur versus the athletic surfer this weekend, which sort of makes the main event of UFC on FX8 sound like a terrible summer blockbuster. I mean, hell, they made the Green Lantern, right? I like young dinosaur. The young dinosaur? Yeah. Would you go that, uh, to the corner to pick up your smokes and, and your, uh, <laughs> your alcoholic beverages before a weekend on the town? Oh, man. Got to get to the young dinosaur before it closes. <laughs> in round number two, we all know the coolest part of UFC on FX8 is going to be watching Jacare Souza do that alligator crawl across the octagon after he dispenses with Chris Camozzi. I'm not even going to pretend that it's not going to be the coolest part because I think it is. Round number three, as if things could get any worse for Bellator in the court of public opinion, now Leonard Garcia. Garcia is talking shit about him. That's rock bottom right there. Ooh. 
Ooh, all that. How did you manage to burn Bellator and Leonard Garcia? Just now. Oh, I'm a professional. Yeah, you are. All that plus Master Tweet Theater. Are you fucking kidding me and just saying stuff? But first, like we always do about this time, let's do some listener mail. Listener mail. You know, the listener mail this week was excellent from top to bottom. We got tons of good questions. I feel like the, uh, the universe really brought it this week because maybe and maybe because there was no show, people had more time to brainstorm their their good questions. So we got a ton of good ones and and we picked out the the ones that fit the show the best this week. So the first uh, piece of listener mail comes to us from Corey Weichard, who writes, "Why is it that the best MMA fighters often have so little to say during pre and post fight interviews besides mind numbing cliches?" Cain Velasquez is probably the best example of this. Cain is a brilliant, one-of-a-kind fighter, but when he talks, it's like listening to every sports interview ever conducted boiled down to 10 boring remarks. I had a tough opponent. I just need to get in there and impose my game plan. I trained hard for this fight. I'd like to thank my coaches and trainers, sponsors and partners, etc. The same thing can be said for virtually every other MMA fighter. How can these people be so physically talented and mentally acute and speak so poorly? Is it just a matter of having developed routine responses to repetitive media questions, or is it possible that some of these fighters actually think this way? The few fighters who do not fall into the cliche robot category, rhetorical camp, tend to become extremely popular, either by going the WrestleMania route, like Ronda Rousey, Chael Sonnen, or Brock Lesnar, or the semi-psychotic man-child route, Diaz and his brothers, or Mike Tyson. Your thoughts? You know, I I had a couple different theories on this, uh, because for one thing, my first response is to be like, well, maybe it's too much to ask of a person to be an awesome fighter and a really interesting interview. You know, that it's maybe possible. The, the same qualities that make you uh, an awesome fighter in some instances directly contradict the qualities that would make you an interesting interview. Like, I think too much self-awareness, in fact, too much like honesty with yourself about the situation can be a hindrance as a fighter. Like Greg Jackson refers to the need for fighters to be optimists, uh, almost unreasonably. So like almost like just completely crazy optimists, even when there's really no reason to, to feel that positive about the situation. Fighters kind of need that. And so maybe that keeps them from being good interviews. Also though, I think a part of it is that as Julie Kedzie once pointed out to me, those cliche answers are safe for fighters. Yeah. They know. And, I'm not, and sometimes I can they're this, true, too. Yeah, which is I, the, I can throw this stuff out, and I won't get in trouble. Exactly, yeah. No, that's what they're. That's why they use them. And, and in the defense of mixed martial arts, we should make the point while we're answering this question that mixed martial arts is still far more interesting and far more uh, uh, oftentimes, I guess, uh, unscripted than any of the major sports like yeah. we are currently living in a golden age almost for uh MMA fighters in terms of of their willingness to cause controversy <laughs> like on Twitter or 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 in in um, the media itself you know during a yeah. press conference you want to go to a boring press conference dude go to a fucking college football press conference <laughs> holy shit that that's all you're going to hear the whole time is one cliche after the after another and the worst people in the world at it are College football coaches. That's all know. they speak in. Have you ever uh, seen a, a hockey player give an interview? I've never been to a hockey press conference. No. Well, I've, never, I've never been to the press conference, but I've seen them on TV and giving the interviews and stuff, and they seem like the dullest, most boring people. At least MMA fighters, you know, even if they're crazy sometimes, uh, have a little more color to them. Yeah, no, I, I think that we're all fairly lucky in, in covering MMA because the, it, the sport is still at the level where – you know, not everybody has a publicist who's just going to feed them these cliches. And also, in defense of the sport, the reason Cain Velasquez so often speaks in cliches, I would 
guess is not because he's an MMA fighter, but he, because he's a former collegiate wrestler. Like that dude is used uh, to talking to the media while he was wrestling at Arizona state. That's probably where he developed his ability to sort of like speak in these platitudes where he's not really telling you anything you didn't know, but he's giving you like kind of short quotable, uh, uh, little quips. And he's not saying anything that he's going to regret later. I almost guarantee that's because of his background as a collegiate wrestler. That's a good point. Anyway, let's let's uh let's do the next one here. The second piece of listener mail this week comes to us from famous blues man Robert Johnson, huh. who writes in back in. Did he mention whether he really sold his soul to the devil or not? Because I, I always know. wondered about let's that. Let's read the thing. Maybe it's maybe it's okay. in there. Uh, back in 2010, interim UFC champion Shane Carwin was impressing the world with his bottomless gas tank in a fight with Brock Lesnar. I think that that's sarcasm. Yeah, I detected a little bit of sarcasm there. Just over a year later, he followed that up. He followed that performance up by showcasing his ability to withstand the most brutal of brutal ass kickings in a fight with Junior Dos Santos. Not sarcastic. Not sarcastic. Uh, now, some two years removed from that last fight, Shane Carwin has decided to call it a career. He leaves the sport with a broken back and a busted up knee. Hell, he might even have low testosterone, giving him the trifecta of devastating MMA ailments. Disclaimer, I haven't seen Shane Carwin's lab report. What will <laughs> Thanks for clarifying that. That's funny though. What, what will the legacy of Shane Carwin be, and is he actually going to stay retired? You know, I, I wrote about this a little bit in Twitter mailbag uh, last week. For one thing, yes, I think he stays retired. Yeah, I do too. Uh, I, you know, I think uh, one of my uh, my colleagues, uh, Matt Erickson, has been predicting for a while that maybe we've seen the last of Shane Carwin in the octagon because yeah, injuries. Yes. It was certainly not like an unexpected retirement. Yeah. Injuries kept mounting up. Uh, he's, he's already on an age uh, and has a good job. Doesn't really need to fight. And I think that's going to be a part of his legacy as the like kind of the last dude to really get up there and the, in the upper echelon of the sport almost became you know, was the interim heavyweight champion almost became the real heavyweight champion and was the guy who wouldn't quit his day job. Right. Yeah. I agree with that. And I think that that that's going to be a big part of it. I always felt, uh, you know, for a long time, like Shane Carwin was a really easy guy to like because, uh, uh, he was smart. He was relatively articulate. He, he did have that background as an engineer and, and was a guy who never quit his day job, uh, and still managed for a really long time to be a very devastating heavyweight and, and really a top flight contender for a while in the UFC. I think that unfortunately part of that legacy though is going to be that, you know, his name showed up on that list of professional athletes who had, uh, purchased something or other from an online pharmacy that was then on trial for distributing steroids. Uh, and the reason that's going to be part of his legacy is that he sort of handled it in the worst possible way. Yeah. And that was put out a statement through his agent saying that he was going to address that issue, just not right away, but that he would have something to say down the road and then never addressed it, never no. said anything about it. And, and kind of seemed like he was just hoping people would forget. Yeah, which is not going to happen no. if you take an issue like that and say, I'll talk about this later, because then yeah. it puts people in this almost... Uh, suspended animation where they're, they're just waiting for you to say something about it. So every time you appear in the media or, or every time you're on a conference call or something, people are like, well, I wonder if this is going to be the one where he talks about the steroids. Yeah. And then you never do. So it, it well, sort of keeps that issue first and foremost in people's minds. And when you talk about the poor handling of it, I mean, Ariel Helwani asked him about it before he fought Junior Dos Santos when we were in Vancouver. Uh, and he said, you know, he asked him like, Hey, what about that statement? When is that statement coming out? And he was like, ah, oh, you know, basically we have no plans to put out that statement. And he was like, well, are you going to say anything about it? And he, he kind of went the no comment route, which is the worst possible way to go with it because people hear no comment in relation to steroids accusations and they're like, well, that means you did it. 
Because um, if you didn't do it, you would be just jumping up on the table to scream at us about how you're wrongly accused here. But it's not quite the, I did it, I'm sorry, here's why, and again, I'm sorry, where at least then it kills it. You know, nobody, people can't keep asking you about it after you took responsibility, offered some form of explanation that makes you a sympathetic figure and apologized. You know, once you do all that, 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 that stops it cold, but he went the, he got the worst of both worlds there by, so people assumed he was guilty, but then also assumed that he wasn't willing to take responsibility for it. Yeah. So I think he's going to have that as a bit of a shroud over the, 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 at least the latter part of his career. Um, the third piece of listener mail this week comes from Richard Toner, who writes, Vitor Belfort was talking recently about his TRT usage and how TRT doesn't win fights. He said he wanted to talk about the people who are on TRT and still lose fights. So let's. I know there's a lot of cloak and dagger stuff surrounding TRT, but as far as you guys know, do TRT users generally have a winning or losing records since they've been on it? We all know Chael Patrick Sonnen, to give his full name, Chad, uh, is a two, is two and three of late, but from how many, but for how many of those fights was he on TRT? Who else is on it and has really benefited and has it really benefited them in the cage? I'm sure it helps them ragdoll fools in the gym, but is it really the elixir its opponents say it is? And secondly, how many TRT users have failed drug tests? in the past. Now, I know this is one of your big issues, and this is a thing that we hear a lot about about performance-enhancing drugs. Whenever someone is on them and then loses, people always jump out there and be like, see, you know, he's still lost, so, like, it couldn't be doing him that much of good, right? Yeah, and to me, that just, that argument misses the entire point. The point is not that TRT makes you unbeatable. Uh, I mean, guys on steroids still strike out. Like, it's not like... It, if it doesn't, if it's not like as long as it doesn't make you invincible, it should be allowed. Like that's not the point at all. I mean, the point is that you're getting permission to use steroids, and you're getting permission to use something that other people don't get to use, and there's just no good reason for it. Like it's just being used as a loophole right now, uh, and it should be closed. I mean, it's insane that it's gone on as long as it has. Like it doesn't matter to me that you can still lose some fights. I mean, for all we know, maybe you wouldn't even be in a position to compete with some of those dudes without this help. I mean, it doesn't, to me, the, the actual like outcome uh, of the fight doesn't change my stance on whether it should be allowed. Yeah, I know. I think the win loss record of people who are trying to cheat is sort of irrelevant, right? I mean, it's not the, it's not the end result. It's, it's the, uh, the intent to game the system by using this thing that, that has provided the legal loophole for them to, to use a testosterone booster. Yeah, and I mean, I think, again, we've said this over and over again, but, like, the really pernicious part about, like, performance-enhancing drugs like this is not necessarily that, like, one substance is just inherently immoral or wrong. It's that we want a level playing field for everybody, where if we say, here's the stuff you can take and here's the stuff you can't, and your opponent agrees to abide by that and you don't, uh, that's cheating. You know, it, it's not just because that substance will make you a Superman. It's because you both agreed that you wouldn't do it. And then you're finding a way to do it. Uh, whether you're getting it because, you know, you get a, a therapeutic use exemption or you're just, you know, getting it on the down low, getting on the sly, whatever. You're getting something that your opponent isn't getting, creates an unfair advantage for you. And then it also, over time, encourages the people or kind of like forces the people who don't want to do it, who want to compete clean, make, starts to make them feel like they can't do it that way. Like they have to get on this stuff. Uh, especially stuff like testosterone replacement therapy, which once you get on it, you, so we're told you kind of got to stay on it uh, because your body stops producing testosterone normally. And so it's like you're 
forcing these other dudes into a situation where they feel like they have to do something that's going to be not that great for their health just to stick around in the sport that they love. And that's a damn shame right there. The last piece of listener mail this week comes from Mark Orenberger, who writes, For years we've watched MMA fighters exhaust themselves for an entire fight and then try to wrestle with a tight sponsor t-shirt while the ring (laughs) announcer reads off the fight results. With all the recent talk about moving toward redesigned gloves that cover the fingertips, the problem is only going to get worse. Why on earth don't fighters just cut their walkout shirts Shawn Michaels style? It seems like they could make their own lives so much easier and keep the results the results announcement from looking so awkward all the time. Now, see, I don't know if this if this question really needs a long response from us, but I included it because I've been watching MMA for a really long time and I have never thought of this. And yeah. I feel like it's a really good idea. That's that's fucking innovation right yeah, there. Yeah, that's a really good just I mean at least cut the sleeves off, right? Yeah. So a guy can really easily shrug into his shirt while he's still got his 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 gloves on. Yeah, because I mean if you if, like if you wear a large t-shirt and you know you get and it's kind of kind of snug on you like you're you know it's going to be if you're a muscular dude then you're sweaty trying to pull that thing on yeah it's going to be a disaster i'd never even thought about this this is a great idea uh it the only problem i can see with it is i've seen several times at ufc events where the fighter takes off his sponsor t-shirt to fight um and his corner and all the excitement uh loses it like they put it down somewhere and then they don't know and then they only remember it like 15 seconds before they, they know they have to have it on him to get that big payday at the end during the fight announcement when the camera's on him. And so one of the guys in the corner has to take off his sponsor t-shirt, the same t-shirt, and quickly give it to the other guy and then go stand out of the way so nobody notices that there's a dude with no shirt and a pair of jeans on standing around in the cage. Um, so it seems like then maybe everybody in the corner would have to cut their Shawn Michaels style. But I mean, what's the worst case yeah, scenario no, there? You, you say look that awesome? like that's a bad thing. Yeah. And I think we go no sleeves Throughout the entire corner. Yeah. Maybe with the Maybe fanny packs. Who knows? A straight vertical slit on the collar just in case, I don't know, someone gets super excited and feels like they need to rip that shirt off (laughs) Hulk Hogan style. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, what if it's a really close decision? It doesn't go your way. Ah, rip off that t-shirt. Exactly. People are going to remember that. Exactly. Yes. Excellent. Good idea from Mark Orenberger. All the pros out there should take note. Anyway, that's going to do it for Listener Mail this week. If you want to get in touch with the podcast in the future, pay attention because this is different now. You can get in touch with us by going to comainevent.com and clicking the link at the top of the page that says email the podcast. What? Seems like people should be able to still follow that, right? Yeah. It's almost just like the old way, just at a new place. But the thing about all the time we're saving them, they don't have to type in those extra words into the browser. I know. I mean, that that should adds up over a few years. Exactly. You get a whole year of your life back right there. You're welcome. Anyway, as for right now, we are going to go ahead and kick off round number one. Well, Ben, it's at least one more ride for the last dinosaur. Or I suppose, as we are inevitably going to start calling him now, the last dinosaur. Um, I like it. I'm telling you. (laughs) We saw Vitor Belfort essentially get back in the mix, if you will, when he he crafted that knockout win over Michael Bisping back in January. Um, I guess we're still supposed to buy into him as being a main event guy. But at this point, I know that I'm not really too feeling too cranked up about watching the the Phenom fighting anymore. Uh, What about you? 
Well, I'm interested in exactly why you're not so cranked up about watching him fight anymore. Well, I mean, you look at the guy's record, it's not terrible. He's 4-2 and two since coming back to the UFC, I think, in, in 2009. And his two losses are to the two best fighters in the world. So that's nothing to sneeze at. But I don't know. I think I, I think I put him in the same category as a lot of guys who have been around for a long time on the big stage. And we've sort of seen the, the, the best they have to offer. We've sort of seen them at the peaks of their career. And uh, they feel like known commodities to us. And so we, uh, we have a tendency to sort of, uh, you know, shortchange them or, or at least think, think we know what they have, what they're bringing to the table. And, uh, you know, maybe part of it is also the, the TRT stuff, which has come to light recently. But I just feel like, eh, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I fully recognize he's still a good fighter, but I'm not, I'm not going to say I'm, I'm 100% excited to watch him when he fights. To me, uh, the, the career resurgence he's had and the, uh, the way that has kind of coincided with his TRT use is part of what makes me not that excited to see him. I thought that that, that maybe that's what, what you were going to go with. Because to me, it seems like, especially with the UFC kind of keeping him in Brazil or keeping him out of the United States, just kind of keeping him in, in murkier regulatory waters, it seems like they're just choosing not to confront that part of it and, you know, just, you know, We'll deal with that if and when we have to right now. We'll just kind of let him go somewhere where it's not an issue. Uh, and that, to me, makes it hard to really take him seriously as a contender because everybody's going to wonder, how would he do without the TRT? Especially when he shows up just looking jacked. You yeah. see him? I yes. mean, he's working behind the counter at the dinosaur with his sleeves cut <laughs> off for sure. For this sure. Summer. Yeah. doing one, Using one of those little, like, grip ball things to strengthen his forearms. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He, and... I don't know. I mean, I think one of the things that a guy like Vitor, who, like you said, we've seen a lot of and we kind of know what he has to offer, one of the things he's good for is fights like this against Luke Rockhold, where Luke Rockhold was fighting that, that strike force competition. We still are kind of wondering about Rockhold. What does he have? You put him up against a guy like Vitor. I mean, if you go out there and you beat Vitor Belfort in Brazil, where he's the young dinosaur full of TRT, that's impressive. I mean, yeah. that puts you in a position where you can credibly say you deserve a title shot, especially since you were the Strike Force champion uh, coming over. But then it's like, okay, if, if Belfort wins, then what? Does he just have another fight in Brazil that's on an FX card or something where we're just throwing it out there, you know, not expecting people to buy it on pay per view? Um, but hey, it gets the local fans fired up. I don't know what you do with, with Vitor at this point, especially mid-30s guy. Uh, we've already seen him get demolished by both champs. What now? Does he wait for Anderson Silva to retire or what? Yeah, and I mean, he is 36, and you, you talked a little bit about the career resurgence, which I think that the, the Michael Bisping win was obviously the jewel in that crown. But yeah. I mean, if you look at his win since he came back to the UFC... It's not like they're that impressive. He beat Rich Franklin in 2009, which I suppose is 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 a good win. And then he has a win over uh, Yoshihiro Akiyama, which I don't know where that guy is right now. Did he retire? Did did he go live on a farm somewhere? Or like what's probably singing to a sold out arena right now? Chad Dundas. He he beat Akiyama. He beat Anthony Johnson like in that in that catch weight fight where where Johnson so badly missed weight. Then he got beat by John Jones. Then he came out and knocked out Michael Bisping. Not not a terrible record, but also not a record that's going to light the world on fire. So well, I mean, you beat Bisping, you knock out Bisping, then you know that's a good win as a middleweight. You know that, that those are the kind of wins that for a lot of people can catapult you into a title shot. Sure, yeah, and I mean, even if he does beat Rockhold, though, I think you know you brought this up a minute ago. Then where do you go from there? Putting those wins together back back to back would be would be pretty impressive. But like I said at the top of the round, 
we've already seen him fight Anderson Silva, and we feel like we know what we know we know what happens. We know yeah. what Vitor Belfort has to offer, and I think that that at this point is a hindrance for him, just for having been around so long and having done so much. To me, I also think that the the TRT issue, as long as he fights in Brazil, uh, it's going to be like the way some people look at uh, some fighters' performances in Pride in Japan, where people are going to be like, okay, if you fought there during this time period, there's kind of a mental asterisk that we place next to your wins. Uh, I think it's going to be a, a similar kind of thing with Vitor, because especially with the Nevada State Athletic Commission, Keith Kaiser saying that he would be unlikely to get a therapeutic use exemption if he applied for one in Nevada. Uh, and it seems like the UFC is aware of that. And it's surprising to me because the UFC, you know, remember how they always used to brag about running toward regulation, that that was how they saved MMA in North America was, you know, by trying to get it regulated. And you see them do it all the time, like in New York, where people are saying, oh, there's a loophole where you could actually hold an event in New York if you wanted to. And the UFC says, no, we want to actually be regulated. You know, we want to to be working with these government agencies and not just trying to find ways around it. But this seems like you're finding a way around it, or at least you're letting Vitor Belfort find a way around it. Well, we just heard, you know, a month or two ago, the UFC is going to start getting tough on TRT. Sounds to me like you're not buying it. Well, I mean... As of right now, we have yet to hear anybody getting nailed in their training camp, which either means everybody's following the rules or the testing isn't that great or that frequent, or maybe the rules just aren't that stringent. I mean, those are the things. When the USC says that stuff about, like, we're going to crack down, we're going to test the shit out of, of TRT users, you know, and it's kind of the same thing that they do sometimes with fighter pay. We're like, oh, these guys are getting taken care of. Don't worry about it. <laughs> Trust me, bro. Trust me. These guys are fine. And it's kind of the same thing with this stuff where it's like, you know what? Damn it. We've had enough of this TRT stuff. We're really going to start cracking down. Well, what are you going to do? Oh, don't you worry. <laughs> we no, got it under control. Yeah, we're all over this. No, well, don't just go play in the lawn. Yeah. Don't worry about grown it. Grown-ups will handle this. Yeah. Well, you know, and just like that, that door to the office closes and we're led to believe that behind there, they're really cracking down. And maybe they are, you know, and it seems like, especially it seemed like that Dana White seeing Vitor Belfort show up for a fight. Uh, looking like a goddamn action figure uh, when he supposedly is a man with low testosterone, it seemed like maybe that that visual changed his mind a little bit. Yeah, I'd forgotten that that seemed like it was the catalyst. So that yeah. does make it more seemed interesting. Seemed like Vitor kind of fucked it up for everybody. That they, that they would continue to, to, to put him on these cards and in places where they are chiefly responsible for the uh, the regulation and the testing and stuff like that. Uh, let's talk a little bit about Rockhold because I think – this, to me, seems like his fight to lose. I think he's probably more of the story here than Belford is because he seems like one of the more interesting prospects to come over from the Strike Force merger. And yet it feels like he flies under the radar a lot. It feels like, especially when he was back in Strike Force and they cut that infamous promo that Athlete, I talked about surfer. in the first, uh, you know, in the intro portion of the show where they referred to him in the, as an athletic surfer or whatever, it always kind of felt like they, they didn't, didn't know what to do with him. And, uh, and I don't know if the UFC knows what to do with him either because we certainly haven't – you know, it's not like his profile has gone way up. Nobody is clamoring for Luke Rockhold to to vault straight into a title shot the way we did with Gilbert Melendez. Yeah, it was just weird, right? Because Gilbert Melendez comes over and it's like, hey, champion versus champion, here we go. Luke Rockhold comes over and it's like, well, you can fight one of the better middleweights and we'll see what happens from there. Which, you know, not a bad idea. I can see how you look at some of his recent wins. He had that <coughs> – Sorry, he had a really close decision over Jacare, which could have gone either way. 
you know, he beat Keith Jardine in a fight that, you know, he had to win. It was just everybody knew that was going to go down that way. And then he had the kind of, he, you know, clear win over Tim Kennedy, but not exactly a great barn burner of a fight. Um, so I see the logic in giving him a chance to do something against a name like Vitor Belfort. I also see why when Luke Rockhold says it kind of pisses him off that Vitor gets to just fight in Brazil. So, uh, you know, because of his TRT situation, then you go there, you're in a hostile environment, and you're in an environment where the other dude is allowed to be injecting synthetic testosterone. So it does have, it kind of has some obstacles in his way here. That said, you go out there and you beat Vitor Belfort convincingly. I don't know how you don't give that guy a title shot. Right. So it's not an immediate title shot, but it does feel like a fight that he could win, and it's a high-profile fight that he should win. Uh, when I look at it, I feel like Rockhold is a guy who's sort of tailor-made to beat Vitor Belfort just because uh, he's going to have a lot of size on him. Rockhold is a big 185-pounder. I think he's six foot three. He's got a lot of range. Um, they're both left-handed, which I think is is – might stifle some of the stuff that Belfort tries to do on the feet. And Rockhold being very athletic and a guy who always and comes a surfer. to and a, he's a very athletic surfer and it comes to the show with uh, great cardio pretty much every time. I feel like he's the kind of guy that's not going to get kicked right in the face uh, during the first round. And, and if he needs to, is going to be able to wear Belfort down in the way that we've seen so many people who've had success against Vitor Belfort do it. Yeah. I mean, it still seems like the way to beat Vitor Belfort is a, uh, hear the words round two, uh, like that really ups your chances. I mean, Belfort, I caught Michael Bisping, I think like in the beginning of the second round, but you know, the deeper into the fight you go against a guy like Belfort, the greater your chances are, especially if you have the ability like Rockhold does to, to put him on his back when you want to, you know, if you can do that and kind of wear him down, a lot of times Belfort has seemed like the kind of guy who comes out there and is waiting to find out whether he's going to win or not. Uh, and if an opponent gives him enough reasons right off the bat to think that maybe uh, it's not going to go his way, he becomes a lot less scary. It's when, you know, that first minute or two when he can just come out there and blitz you like, like your tank Abbott and it's, you know, 1997 all over again. That's, that's the scary Vitor Belfort. I'm sorry. I wasn't paying attention, but then you said tank Abbott and I, yeah, whoa, what? Snap back to. Yeah. Anyway, that'll probably do it for our discussion of Vitor Belfort against Luke Rockhold. Uh, Sir Nigel Longstock is on hand, and we're going to get into another installment of Master Tweet Theater right now. again we welcome back to the show friend of the podcast and noted theatricalist sir nigel longstock sir nigel how are you good day to you sir i am ready like spaghetti <laughs> you've been working on that all week haven't you yes I'm, I'm a little hard now but in eight minutes i will be limp and wet <laughs> god it just you know you can't have a, just a normal day around here can we blame shakespeare he wrote it <laughs> fair enough for those of you who don't know how this works, Sir Nigel is going to read us off some tweets from some various people in the MMA community. Chad and I are going to try and guess who the tweeter in question was. Uh, Sir Nigel, whenever you're ready, hit us with the first one. <clears throat> yeah, so let us begin. Uh-huh. First, I should inform you that today's Master Tweet Theater is organized around a theme. As it seems to be frequently these days. <clears throat> the theme is doing really good. Okay. Doing good. Really right. good. <clears throat> Tweet the first. When I fought in Japan a few months ago, I came out to the song Gangnam Style, because the guy who sings it is Korean, and to me that was funny. I mean, I feel like 
we're just playing into our old habits here, but I, that sounds like a Sean McCorkle to me. I don't know. Has he fought in Japan recently? It seems like he probably would have, right? No, I, the only person I can think of who, who we know has fought in Japan was the poet Philip Baroni, right? Oh, damn it. So I'm going to go with the poet Philip Baroni. Both fine guesses, both one much more fine, excuse me, one much more fine than the other. It is Big Sexy Sean McCorkle, who may have fought in Japan, but no one has any way of knowing. No, cannot verify that information. I feel like you beat me at my own game. Yeah, there you go. I'm guessing Matt Mitrione on the next one without even knowing what it is. Wow, a preemptive guess. Yeah. Huh, okay. Well, sir, you're about to be made the fool. (laughs) (laughs) Tweet the second. Guy slash car question. BMW X5, chick car or badass ride? What the hell kind of tweet is this? I should say that I have edited the tweet somewhat. Uh, The original tweet is actually BMW X5, chick car or badass ride. But I assume he meant or. Well, he just gave gave us away a little bit by saying he. Yes, it is a man asking (laughs) if a certain car is a chick car. All right. Who would be like? Who would have the capability of choosing whether or not to buy a BMW, but really their concern is that it might be a chick car? I'm gonna say Michael Bisping. Interesting. Uh, we know it's not Matt Mitrione because he obviously drives a beater station wagon full of kids, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, and especially now that he got some kind of huge undisclosed fine uh, from the UFC, yeah. certainly doesn't have cash laying around to buy a BMW. He's got the uh, the seventy station wagon with the fake wood paneling on the side. <laughs> nice. I'm pretty sure. Real nice. I'm gonna go Josh Barnett because he's the only person I know who tweets about cars a lot. Yeah. Cars and heavy metal. That's pretty much it. A wise guess from Mr. Dundas. It is, in fact, Josh Barnett. Redemption. Considering buying a badass ride or what? becoming a chick. Well, I wonder uh, where he came down on that after his Twitter poll. But hey, 1-1. One, one. This is kind of a competitive Master Tweet Theater for change. I'm going to guess if it involved buying a car that he just went ahead and bought it. Yeah, that, probably that does seem to be Josh Barnett's approach to cars. <clears throat> tweet the third. Quote, your time is limited, so don't waste it living someone else's life. End quote. Steve Jobs. All right. I love, I love these tweets where somebody in the MMA community tweets inspirational quotes. Several known offenders in that category. I'm going to say this one is Ariane Celeste. UFC octagon girl Ariane Celeste Lopez Benchimal Concepcion. That was going to be my guess, but since you took it, uh, you know, I'm going to go with a guy who sometimes tweets inspirational sayings sort of surprisingly, and that's Miguel Torres. Oh, okay. Both fine guesses, both as usual wrong. It is the poet Philip Baroni. That's tricky. Warning us not to live others' lives by quoting someone else's words. (laughs) That was a tricky one. And I don't know if you get to say as usual wrong on this one since Chad and I have each gotten one so far. It's true. As lately unusual, wrong again. (laughs) That quote seems almost too uh, applicable for Philip Baroni. It seems like almost, like it makes too much sense, right? Yeah, I mean, he probably tweeted that out while at Spearmint Rhino, too. Let's okay. not forget. All right, all right. That, that makes me feel better. Yeah. Don't worry. He's completely immune to any irony in that quote. <laughs> Tweet the fourth. Boats and hoes! Accompanied by a photograph of the tweeter in question on a boat with several of his male friends and their girlfriends who apparently are hoes. <laughs> okay, I'm going to take 
one out of your book here, Chad, and I'm going to say that that's Miguel Torres. Okay, that's a good guess. I'm going to go with uh, uh, Donald Cerrone, but only because he's known to be on a boat before. <laughs> okay, that's true. He is known I to... I mean, he and Leonard Garcia enjoy water sports. They go out together with their wave runners or whatever. We've seen pictures of this in the past. I, I'm not saying that's impossible. He's a boat enthusiast. Both fine guesses, at least one dedicated seaman, but both wrong. Ryan Bader is the tweeter in question. On a boat with his friends and the prostitutes they apparently hired to accompany them. (laughs) Sounds like a nice little Sunday afternoon. Tweet the fifth. It's quite satisfying squeezing the tiny bubbles out from under my phone screen protector. Hashtag small victories. Hmm. Hmm. I'm going to say that this one comes from a friend of the podcast, Danny Boy Downs. Yeah, it's a good guess. Um, Matt Mitrione. Really? Well, I haven't used him yet, so I might as well. Okay. Well, both sort of okay guesses, both wrong. It is Dan Hardy notching a much-needed victory over his cell phone protector. (laughs) Well, this Master Tweet Theater got off to a pretty good start, Chad, and then we just just took a nosedive there at the end. I you think got... we ran out of gas, if you want to know the truth. Yeah. I th- maybe it was that we, we went all out for the finish in the first two, you think? Yeah, we blew our load, as they say. Yeah, we did. I think you got cocky. <laughs> that could be, too. Well, Sir Nigel, uh, I guess that's it. What else you got going on? You know, it's funny you should ask. Uh I am currently working on a project of my own devising, combining one of the most beloved characters from Marvel Comics with one of the most beloved characters from French literature. I call it Iron Man in the Iron Mask. Huh? So... You know what? No, I'm not. I'm not going to ask any follow-ups on this one. I don't own the rights to any of it. <laughs> I was really hoping it was going to be somehow a, a Madame Bovary uh, tie-in, but uh, that's cool. Hey, whatever. Uh, this has been Master Tweet Theater, and that, regrettably, was Sir Nigel Longstock. Good day, sir. Well, Chad, believe it or not, there are other fights on this fight card besides just the young dinosaur. Uh, well, that one is such a blockbuster, though, that it's yeah, gobbling just, up it all the headlines. Everything. Yeah. Well, I know you're really excited to see Jacare Souza <laughs> do his little alligator thing uh, across the mat. You seem to be acting like there's just no chance Chris Kamosi comes out there and shocks the world in uh, Haragawa da Sul, Brazil. I'm, I'm 100% sure I pronounced wow, that correctly. Wow, I think you nailed that. Yeah. Unless that little line over the A means something weird. No, it can't, right? I don't know, man. Yeah. That's just how they make Har- their A's. Haragawa do Sul. Yeah. Huh, interesting. I'm sure Pedro the Wolf will send us an email about it. Uh, but... Is, are you looking at this as one of those cards where, like, hey, it's in Brazil. Let's give Brazilians a bunch of guys they can beat the shit out of, and everybody will love it and throw their beers in celebration. Well, anything can happen, bro. Okay? <laughs> so I'm not going to count Chris Camozzi out all the way, but he's he's a last-minute replacement, right? I, I I think I found out that Jacare Souza was supposed to fight Constantino Filippou, uh the day before Filippou got injured. So that was a real... 
roller coaster for me. Yeah. A real <laughs> high and low type situation wow. there. Wow. Because uh, well, that, you know, Philippou against Jacare seems like kind of a cool fight. Like uh, I can only imagine what you must have gone through in those, <laughs> those difficult couple days. No, his injury badly affected me. Yeah. I think that that's what we need to focus on here. But we get, you know, we get Kamozi to step in on short notice. And at this point, it does feel like a fight that, that should be uh, academic for Jacare in a lot of ways. Uh, except that, you know, Kamozi's on a nice little run. He's got uh, four wins in a row, I think, with the, the last one being that split decision over Nick Ring at UFC 158. Uh, at the same time, though, when we talk about dudes who are uh, interesting prospects coming over from Strike Force. I think you'd have to throw Jacare into that list because not only uh, is he one of these guys who comes to MMA with just a ridiculous jujitsu pedigree, but the thing that separates him uh, from a lot of the other guys that we've seen come into the sport with with that kind of background is, I think, the athleticism. He's just a dude that appears to be super fast and also the kind of dude who's going to pick up skills really, really fast. Like yeah. his, his, his stand-up, it's not all the way there, but certainly he's shown it's really coming along. He's shown a lot of big improvements since he's been in the sport. So I think he's one of those dudes that just picks stuff up really fast. We know he's an athlete. The question is, is he a surfer as well? Well, he's from Brazil. So probably. And I assume that the surfing in Jaragua do Sul must do be Sul. just outstanding. Yeah. Because otherwise they wouldn't have booked all these athletic surfers on the car. No way. Yeah. That's part of how you get these guys to go along with it. But, you know, I think the thing that recently gets you really excited about Jacare is how his striking has come along. You know, he knocked out Derek Brunson, showed that he has, has some hands, uh, has some power there. You know, I think those are the kind of things that when it's one thing when you see a guy who is a great jujitsu practitioner, the kind of guy who when he gets you to the mat, you know, it's just like falling into a pit of quicksand. Uh, but would you say that it's like wrestling an alligator? No, huh. no, I would not. Chad. Because that's, you know, his nickname, the alligator. Anywho. Uh, but once you see that guy and it's a delicate balance because it's like you want to see those guys develop some striking skills but then you don't want to see them go all the way like Demian Maya on it where they briefly forget what made them awesome fighters to begin with and they they fall in love with their new striking skills and that's all they want to go and do to prove to people that they can do it I like to call that the Matt Hughes oh really remember when Matt Hughes for a while there towards the what should have been the end of his career but turned out to be sort of like the the, the eighth inning <laughs> Should have been the ninth inning, but it was the eighth inning where uh, he sort of briefly tricked himself into believing he was a striker. And he would do that thing where he would come out and he had that really weird, awkward looking boxing stance where he would yeah. cross his hands all the time. Mm -hmm. And every time he did it, you were like, no, Matt, you're going to get knocked out. <laughs> yeah. Well, OK. I I think of, of Demian Maia being the kind of the poster boy. And now he's brought it back, kind of remembered what, what his roots are. But Jacques Ray seems to have struck a pretty good balance there where he doesn't need to get you to the floor, um, but he also is not so intent on showing off his stand-up skills that he forgets that his bread and butter is jiu-jitsu. I like that. And it's exciting to see where a guy like that can go uh, if he really has indeed put it all together. So, But, you know, I don't know if you looked at the odds on this one. I did not. Uh, Chris Camozzi, about a four to one dog. Okay. Against Jacare. Hey, man, if you got money you never want to see again, I don't see why not. The return would be fantastic. <laughs> it would be, it would be pretty good. Also, I think one thing worth noting about Chris Camozzi is he's the guy who came out, uh, before his last fight, right? Uh, to say, 
kind of taking a stand with sponsors. Yeah. When it came telling, telling these other guys not to be giving it away for free, which is awesome. I thought. yes, absolutely. Somebody definitely needed to say that because I mean the sponsorship situation and in MMA and especially in the UFC has changed a lot in recent years. You know, some of it you could blame the the UFC's sponsor tax. Well, has, that's the thing though that that part didn't get a lot of press after Camozzi's Facebook post, which I think is what what I think originally it started yeah. it. Uh, started or maybe it was MySpace. Maybe where he, he his jumped, band is on MySpace. He so. jumped on Friendster and yeah. put a put a post up there. But and you know, and the 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 point of the post was certainly directed at other fighters, saying, "Hey, you know, don't give it away for free." But yeah. buried in that post was this sort of like offhand disclosure that the UFC is charging something like ten grand for some sponsors. Uh, that might not be right. I, this is just what I remember from reading it because I remember when I was reading it, I was like, "Wow." Are you fucking kidding me? Well, yeah. I mean, it, I remember talking to some sponsors about it after that was kind of new. And, you know, it wasn't 100% like sponsors saying like, oh, well, this is a real pain in the ass. I have to pay it. Because, I mean, for some of them, it was like, I can't remember exactly now, but it was like 50 grand that you'd have to pay t- just for the right to be able to sponsor people for like six months. And it's like you have to pay that just to then get the chance to pay right. more to fighters. And so while I agree that it was awesome for Kamozi to write that thing and to tell other fighters not to lower their rates so much just to, so they would have some sponsors kind of makes me wonder if we're not pointing the finger in the wrong direction, because if something is dragging down the price that sponsors are paying fighters, I might look at that huge fee that they have to pay to just get the, their foot in the door first. Well, I think that's a part of it, but I don't think it's all of it. Because I also think that a lot of these companies who started out with this belief that, well, here's how it's going to work. We're going to put a t-shirt on a guy on the UFC and then sit back and watch the money roll in. Right. And I know you did a story about that a few yeah. years ago, right? Where you interviewed some people and essentially asked them how they could be sure they were getting their money back or how they could be sure that sponsoring these guys was worth it. And every single one of them was like, oh, we can't. <laughs> no, there's there's no metric. We have no idea. Yeah, well, some of them were like, hey, we, we can't. Some of them were like, we assume that we're not making back this money in, in sponsorship, but just by selling that guy's T-shirt after the fight. But we want to support the fighter and we want to, you know, some brands felt like, you got to be on somebody's back at the UFC because otherwise, you know, that's kind of our, our bread and butter. And, and other f- companies were, you know, hey, we're trying to sell some training masks. We're not going to spend a whole bunch of money on it. So if we can get somebody for $2,000 with training masks on their butt. We feel like maybe in the next 10 days we'll sell enough training masks. And to, so different companies have different outlooks on it. Uh, but I, it wasn't, I don't think it's just that. Uh, the UFC is charging the, the sponsor tax, and that's scaring. I think that's part of it. I think another part is that the people don't know if it's worth the money. Uh, and I also think that a lot of those companies that kind of came out of nowhere and then decided, hey, we're going to be these the next affliction, uh, it didn't work out for them, and they're not around anymore. Right. I, so there's just fewer uh, sponsors to compete for right now in the UFC. And the, yeah, I can see it. That used to be, you know, a huge part of the fighter's income. And so I think Chris Camozzi is right to tell these guys, look, if you just let these dudes bargain you down over and over again, it hurts us all. You got to keep some kind of like baseline, but then it's the same reason why there's no fighters union because the fighters don't really trust each other to work together on issues of, of collective interest like that. Won't happen to dinosaur fightwear though. No, that's going to be around for the long haul. Mm-hmm. And I'll have the slits down the side, a little cut on the, on the uh, shoulder, ribbed maybe up the back. Yeah, with the multiple cuts. Why not? Why not? All right. Well, let's do. Are you fucking kidding me? And then we will uh, move on to round number three. Uh, are you fucking kidding me? Obviously, the most self-explanatory part of the show. Ben, what is your? Are you fucking kidding me this week? Well, 
not to pile on the young dinosaur, but Vitor Belfort, uh, recently in an interview with, uh, I believe it was MMAfighting.com, said that he believes that uh, who the people who are on TRT, it should be public knowledge. Uh, that, uh, quote, I think they should release the name of everyone that's on it. For me, it's no problem. I'm not doing anything legal, so I'm not ashamed of anything. This is from the same guy who, before it was public knowledge that he was on it, when he was asked point blank by your employers at ESPN, I believe by Brett Akamoto at ESPN, whether he was on testosterone, declined to give a straight answer, dodged the question in the most obvious of ways, uh, did not clearly did not want to come out and say, yes, I am on it. Now, though, that he's been outed by the UFC, which had to kind of like tamp down the, the fire and and admit that Vitor was using testosterone in Brazil. Now that he's public knowledge, he thinks everybody ought to be outed. You fucking kidding me, Vitor? Are you fucking kidding me? That's not me? the same thing as saying you like, that's not transparency to want everybody else to be outed after you were involuntarily outed. Fucking kidding me. Well, Ben, this week. My, are you fucking kidding me? And I know you probably saw these reports also, but it concerns the fact that there are now rumors online that uh, your friend and mine, Nick Diaz, is thinking of starting his own mixed martial arts promotion. Yes, please, God, let that happen. I think it started with a uh, post on the Sunday morning rumor mill from uh, MiddleEasy.com and then uh, Lazy, a fun time. Lazy the Savage, a, a Diaz-affiliated uh, lieutenant. I guess you'd say. Yeah. Uh, post, Maybe a corporal now. Posted a, uh, uh, a link on, I believe, the UG, somewhere, one of those sites, uh, which was a, a URL to, uh, to just a site that, that was like a coming soon uh, war fighting championships or something like that, which you know that would be the name of Diaz's fight promotion because I assume the fights will all be to the death. Yeah. But my are you fucking kidding me is why didn't we think of this sooner? Man, th this is going to be the greatest thing ever, except for the fact that I can't think of one job that Nick Diaz could have with a fight promotion working well, behind the scenes. I, think I can't think of one thing that he would do. I think it's going to be awesome when that fight promotion becomes super successful and then gets shut down for not paying its taxes. That's going to be great. That <laughs> Hopefully he's, he's hired someone to take care of that. Uh, anyway, that's it. That's it for this week. Are you fucking kidding me? Fucking kidding me? Anyway, we're going to go ahead and move on to round number three right now. Just got persnickety this uh -oh. week between the camp of Leonard Garcia and Bellator. Uh, it all started with what seemed like a fairly harmless interview from Leonard Garcia, I think with MMA Junkie, uh, where he stated that he had been fielding offers from uh, a couple of different promotions. He said he was he had he had had offers from the World Series of Fighting and he had had offers from Bellator. Anyway, he ended up signing a, a three fight deal with Legacy FC. Um, but then Bellator came out and said that they had had no discussions with Leonard Garcia. They were not interested in Leonard Garcia. They were not going to offer Leonard Garcia a contract. And, Basically said Leonard Garcia sucks and we're not interested. And, and Bjorn Rebney said something about a phantom Bellator representative who had been who had been calling up and offering reverse catfishing. Yeah, reverse catfishing. Maybe it was the same guy that impersonated you. I have so much more sympathy for this now. Anyway, uh, some of the statements from Leonard Garcia's team are awesome, and so I want to read them right <laughs> off the top. 
Here is a statement from uh, Leonard Garcia's management, which is uh, headed up by Jerry Villasenor, who I only can only imagine is probably Smokin' Joe Villasenor's dad or brother or uncle or son. I don't or know. it's not that uncommon of a name. Or they're not related. Jerry and Joe, though. Come on. Those guys are related. <laughs> Here's the quote. In light of Bellator's alleged legal chicanery with their own champions like oh, Eddie Alvarez chicanery. and Zach Makovsky and high-profile fighters like Leonard Garcia making known their desire to avoid a potentially bad situa- situation, it is not surprising Bellator is trying to get ahead of the bad PR plaguing their promotion. However, this story about a phantom Bellator representative making phony offers to fighters just strains credulity. Man, credulity and chicanery. If only they could have worked skullduggery in there somewhere. That would have been awesome. But you know what? I actually believe the Bellator phantom thing. Uh, We got an email from Bellator representatives uh, in April uh, saying that this kind of thing had been going on and warning that and telling us that somebody had been reaching out to media members uh, posing as Bellator representatives and that there had been some kind of a hack so that they, they are. So you think there's some, some precedent here. There does seem to be some precedent. There also, I, I combine that with the fact that it would be unusual if Bellator right after Leonard Garcia was cut, he went zero and five, uh, before being cut from the UFC, if they were like, well, we got to go get that guy because that has seemed like that's not Bellator's MO. They no, have, no, it would certainly go against the, uh, the, the track record that they've established. Yeah. They don't usually go after those kind of guys. I mean, they didn't go after John Fitch or, or didn't go after him hard enough. Apparently still surprised that they went after Vladimir Matyushenko and signed him. But, uh, it would be, it would be much more surprising if they had tried to sign Leonard Garcia than if they hadn't, um, and plus, now I know that reverse catfishing is a thing that happens to people. So, Well, here's what Bjorn Rebney said. He told uh, John Morgan from MMA Junkie, uh, Leonard Garcia has never been approached by our company. We have never had any interest or expressed any interest in signing Leonard Garcia, but he claimed to have been approached by Bellator about a signing. Uh, now, I've got a lot of respect for anybody who steps into the cage. I've got a lot of respect for anybody who's got the guts to be uh, a professional mixed martial here artist. Here it comes. But, but with all due respect, so that's kind of a oh, double whammy oh, wow. right there. Uh, we had no interest in signing him. Yeah, the all due respect. You know something bad's coming after that. Uh, but here's the thing I think that tells us exactly where Bellator is right now. Even, let's say, the Bellator phantom thing is totally real, uh, that he never was actually approached by Bellator, but clearly Leonard Garcia thought that he was, thought that he was ask, being asked to you know, maybe enter contract talks with Bellator. He... Coming off an 0-5 run, having just lost his job, a 33-year-old fighter, newly out of work, wasn't even interested in talking to Bellator. Supposedly the number two MMA organization, I would say the number two MMA organization out there right now. He thinks that they're making him a contract offer, and he doesn't even want to talk it with talk it over with them. That tells you what the feeling on Bellator is among many fighters right now. Like it doesn't even matter that much that it was, even if it, the author was not genuine. He thought it was and had wanted no part of it. And he is not the only one feeling that way right about now. This, the ongoing battle with Eddie Alvarez, and then you got guys uh, like Zach Makovsky and Cosmo Alexander jumping in there. Uh, that stuff is hurting Bellator publicly. And, the, you know, the thing hasn't even gone to trial yet. We have, don't even have a resolution in sight uh, for their ongoing dispute with Eddie Alvarez. But this stuff, it, it's already not 
like even if they win this lawsuit against Eddie Alvarez, it's already not worth the price they've paid in terms of like the hit to to their their image in the public among fans, among fighters. Um, plus, you've got this battle with Eddie Alvarez that Bellator is entirely on the defensive in when it comes to public opinion. You know, he comes out there and he says all this stuff is going on, and then Bjorn Remedy has to come on and, and basically call Eddie Alvarez a liar and say all these other guys are liars too. Uh, you know, that's not a good situation to be in. And we I don't know if you saw today, Middle Easy has up the uh, documents that Eddie Alvarez uh, supposedly posted proving uh, them trying to change the wording when giving him his, there's one dated uh, October 30th, where it says that, uh, you know, give, granting him his early release so he can negotiate with the UFC um, and saying Bellator will match the material terms of the offer. Um, and then Eddie Alvarez circles where he did not sign that one. Um, and so then there's a document dated November 1st where it says it will match the terms of the offer. And then that's the one he signed. And so but when Bjorn Remney talking to John Morgan says uh, that Eddie Alvarez is saying these things that are blatantly untrue. And here's his quote on it. Nothing was changed. Material terms language was never added. It is not part of that final document that was signed. That is just false. That isn't a misunderstanding. That is not, oh, I misunderstood what you said, or I misconstrued what you said. That is just a completely untrue and false statement. That's what makes me nuts, because when you look at it, all of those documents are with the court. Now, if the documents that Eddie Alvarez posted are legit, and you notice the the part in, in Bjorn's statement where he says that is not part of the, the final document that was signed. Yeah, only because Eddie Alvarez wouldn't sign it when you tried to do that. That's the kind of thing that when that stuff comes out, when you come out and you take the stance of I am hurt and offended that he would tell, spread these vicious lies. And then we see that, yeah, you're right, only technically and only because you couldn't get away with it then it throws the credibility of everything else you're saying into question. Well, to me, the most interesting thing is to hear you say that it sounds like someone may actually be impersonating a Bellator uh, representative because why they do that? Man? <laughs> what on earth could they, I mean, what on earth could they possibly gain? When I first saw the, the, the story that Leonard Garcia had said this and Bellator had said, no, we didn't have any interest in the guy. My first response was, oh, it was probably just Leonard Garcia trying to drive up the price uh, with World Series of Fighting to say that he had another offer on the table that he was considering. Uh, then he ended up signing with Legacy, which seems doubly weird to me that, uh, you know, he doesn't sign with Bellator, he doesn't sign with World Series of Fighting. Those would, those would probably be your top two, uh, you know, the two and three organization that a guy could sign with in America right now, uh, and ends up signing with Legacy, which you would think would maybe be a step behind, uh, both of those promotions. Yeah. But yeah, the weirdest part to me is why on earth would someone reverse catfish dudes on behalf of Bellator or like to uh to like play an awesome prank on Leonard Garcia like what could you possibly gain from that I don't know well why would somebody reverse catfish me of I mean maybe some people are just doing it because they think they can and because they have a lot of time on their hands and no hobbies uh, you know, well, that's sad. That, that <laughs> that's is sad. sad, especially to do it to Leonard Garcia, who just got cut from the UFC. Yeah, he doesn't need He's that. Probably not going to get back to the UFC. Like, it's just, that's just cruel, man. That's, yeah, that's cruel right there. But I think you're right. Bellator does have a developing uh, PR problem, especially when Eddie Alvarez is sort of making Bjorn Rebney look like a liar. Yeah. Or, you know, the, the closest possible thing to like the the uh, only not a liar by one degree of fine print. Yeah. So, and I mean, I, I wrote a column about it this weekend, but 
it's again, what do you win if you win that lawsuit? Eddie Alvarez has to go back to work for you after a bitter dispute. Everybody knows that he doesn't want to. Everybody knows he'd rather be in the UFC. And now you've got to put on that pay-per-view that you said that you would match, right? Or you've got to find a way to weasel out of doing the pay-per-view, in which case everybody's going to know what you just did. Uh, so it just seems like there's no victory. Plus, if you lose, you've had it declared in a court of law that your offer is not as good as the UFC's. And you paid <laughs> for the privilege. Yeah, that, that uh, would know, be It's like putting up a billboard for your competitor. It just, that, it, to me, I don't, maybe they just figured this contract thing is going to come to a head sooner or later. We might as well fight it now rather than fight it later on and, and find out where we stand. I don't know. It doesn't seem to me like it could possibly be worth it. I mean, I know some people mentioned, hey, remember when, the UFC had that dis- contract dispute with Randy Couture when he tried to resign as UFC champion, which was a pretty smooth move. Uh, and, you know, that was tr- true when uh, the UFC and Couture had that kind of falling out. That didn't go over, didn't make the UFC look particularly great. But it's one thing where a dude has fulfilled his contract and is trying to move on and you're trying to exercise a matching right, which a lot of people are saying is not a match. Uh, and another thing when a guy just thinks that he can quit his contract uh, and get out of it by just saying, like, here's the belt back. I do not want it anymore. All right, well, let's do just saying stuff, and then we'll get out of here for this week. Uh, ben, this week my just saying stuff concerns the ongoing kerfuffle about what the UFC is going to do to name its events when it makes the switch over to Fox Sports 1. Because there's been some some uh, worrying that they can't number them because it'll be too confusing to have UFC on Fox Sports 1. 1. Yeah. Uh, and I think I got the answer. Uh-oh. I've been thinking about it. I think I got a system we can all agree on. Dewey Decimal System. Oh, God. We go with something like UFC on Fox Sports 1, 3.94 GH space 5 CWL 311. A system everyone is familiar with. We'll know exactly where to find every event. <laughs> they can mail the check to my house. Yeah. I'm just saying. Well, I think it's great that so far this episode of the CME has produced at least one great idea. The whole thing about the sponsor T-shirts being cut up like Shawn Michaels. Two two, two great ideas because I <laughs> and, just said the Dewey Decimal and then thing one a minute ago. I absolutely just... horrible fucking idea. <laughs> UFC on Fox Sports 2, 5.93, G <laughs> space 100WQ32. Yeah. Because that is something I've always heard people say about the Dewey Decimal System. It's so easy to use and intuitive. Uh, my just saying this week has to do with uh, the UFC's talk about maybe going to a different glove design that will limit the number of eye pokes. Maybe something that keeps the fingers from stretching all the way out, keeps them slightly curved to, to limit eye pokes. I'm just saying, if we're going to change the gear involved in the sport in order to cut down on totally avoidable fouls that are caused by the people in the sport, why stop with eye pokes? I'm just saying two words, electrified fence. You grab that thing to avoid a takedown. I mean, hey, we can't count on you to stop poking motherfuckers in the eye, apparently. We have to change the gloves. So I guess we can't count on you to stop grabbing the fence to stop a takedown. Oh, wait, maybe we can if when you grab it, it's 10,000 volts of goodness right up in you. I'm just saying, if that's what it's come to, that we can't just create the rules and then penalize the people who don't follow the rules, then damn it, let's just go all Thunderdome with it. 
Just saying. Just saying. Anyway, that's going to do it for this week. Uh, we'll be back next week with another episode of the Co-Main Event Podcast. Don't forget to check out the new website, comainevent.com. As for this week, we're done. We're through. We're out. So wait a second. You think the Dewey Decimal System idea is flawed, but you want to surround the octagon with an electric fence. That is correct. That's interesting. What would you do about the flinch situation? With the person who pushed up against the fence. Well, we'll have somebody sitting there with a finger on a button. They can turn Circuit it off. Circuit breaker? Yeah. Uh, one of those guys... That-